All right. So as we think about sin in our life, as we begin, as we think about sin in our life, oftentimes it brings guilt, it brings shame, and it brings repercussions that are not favorable. We can be left with a sense of despair, with agonizing grief over our sin, and a sense of being lost. Tonight, we are going to be given hope and a way forward in our sins from the example of the lives of the Israelites. So this morning, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 8, and this is somewhat of a continuation of this as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, which you'll be able to see, hopefully, uh, many different connections. Though it's separated by several chapters, uh, we see chapter 12 um, is very closely related to uh, chapter 8. So as we come to chapter 12, we are given a speech of Samuel. Some context, some context has to be given, as I said, as we looked at this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and this evening we look at chapter 12. And within the three chapters that are in between these, a king is chosen by the Lord, and he's anointed by the current leader, Samuel. This king is Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul is handsome. We're told that he is very tall. And Saul leads the people to defeat Nahash and the people that Nahash is over, that is the Ammonites. The kingdom can be seen as being in peace and also a, king, a kingdom that is united. So that's only on the surface level. It looks as if it's peaceful and it looks as if it's united, but under the surface, we can see that there's a great spiritual problem within Israel. We come back to what we looked at this, e this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in which Israel, Israel's rejection of God as their king and also of Samuel as their leader and demanding a king like the nations have. Israel and God are not good. Their relationship is strained because of what the Israelites have done. And the Israelites need to learn a great spiritual lesson if they want to move on from this act of making a king. So if we would, if we would have looked at the three chapters in between 1 Samuel 8 and 1 Samuel 12, we would see that really this spiritual issue isn't addressed too much. It's more we see this king is raised up by God, God grants him a king, but now we see finally the spiritual issue is addressed with Israel. Many Bibles, if if you would have your Bibles open, you may see a heading or a section heading that names this chapter, entitles this chapter, A Farewell Address of Samuel. And certainly we could see this um, as a proper title, but I think a better uh, way of seeing this is not necessarily a closeout of Samuel's ministry, but Samuel encouraging, challenging, um, and even rebuking the Israelites. We see that Samuel's ministry actually goes on a decent amount longer into several years into Saul's kingship, and even he gets to anoint the second king of Israel, David. So though Samuel's growing older, we see he has many years uh, left of ministry. This chapter has Samuel speaking all throughout, and it even begins with an overview of his life, but we're going to see that Samuel isn't necessarily the focus the focus is the covenant relationship of the Lord with his people. So now we'll turn to your handout and we begin with the theme, which is Samuel confronts Israel's sin of demanding a king and instructs them in, a way, in the way forward from that sin. So we're going to see four ways in which Samuel instructs in which he addresses the people of Israel. So number one, Samuel addresses the sin of Israel, 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 18. And before we go forward, just uh, to let you know, again, this is an address uh, of Samuel or a speech of Samuel to the people of Israel. And we're going to see that 
I'd say about 75% of this address or this speech is actually regarding this first point, Samuel's address of their sin. He first confronts them in their sin, and we see that he spends the majority of the time on this. So let's look at how he addresses. We see he does this in two ways. First, by showing what they had, but they rejected. And then second, he addresses their sin through a sign. So first, letter A, Samuel addresses the sin of Israel by showing what they had, but rejected. First Samuel 12, 1 through 15. Number one, the Israelites had rejected an upright human leader. So we see first they rejected an upright human leader. As Samuel sets himself, Samuel sets himself up on trial and challenges the Israelites to point out any misconduct found in him. So more of a metaphorical uh, trial, Samuel sets himself up and he challenges the Israelites to bring any misconduct that he had in his life. So 1 Samuel 12, 1, it reads, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. So we see, as number one says, it says, Samuel had not oppressed the people, comparing himself to how the Lord had warned Israel of their future king, which they chose over Samuel. So if you notice, if you look back with me at verse three, we see that this word taken and oppressed is used. He says, whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I oppressed? So if you remember this morning, we looked at uh, the warning that God gave Samuel to let the Israelites know what their king would be like. If they want a king, God told them what the king would be like, and we saw that he would be an oppressive king. And I have on there 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 18, and just as a reminder, we'll see how God emphasizes the oppression that this king would bring. And Samuel's trying to make the comparison that he has done nothing like this. It reads, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And verse 18, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So simply the point that Samuel is making is he has not conducted himself in any way like these future oppressive kings would in Israel. Number two, Samuel had not judged the people in, the, in wicked ways compared to how Samuel's sons had judged as Israel was aware of. 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 3 gives us the example of Samuel's sons. When Samuel became old, he made for his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, 
the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So again, Samuel's making the comparison that he has not uh, had a corrupt uh, judgeship, but he has judged them fairly. He has judged them with justice. And number three, Samuel had acted uprightly in his position of leadership, not oppressing the people nor cheating the people. Letter B, Israel confirms that Samuel had acted uprightly. 1 Samuel 12, 4, it reads, They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. So we see no one accuses him of anything. No one brings anything to the table of Samuel's misconduct. Samuel calls both God and their king to see that Israel has not charged Samuel with wrongdoing. 1 Samuel 12, 5, And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. So simply, Samuel's making the point here to show that Israel had no basis for rejecting Samuel as their leader. So in asking for a new king like the other nations, they had no grounds because Samuel had conducted himself uprightly. And then letter D, this is the same God who made Moses and Aaron leaders, 1 Samuel 12, 6. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. So Samuel's making the point that God had given them Moses and Aaron, and so too he gave them himself, Samuel. So they have sinned, not only rejecting Samuel, but as we looked at this morning, they have rejected God, who has placed Samuel in leadership. So application. This isn't the main focus of the passage, but I think we do well to pause for a moment and re reflect upon the example of Samuel's leadership. Of his example of Samuel as a leader, and not only a leader, but a faithful leader both to God and the people in which he is serving. Samuel walked in uprightness in all his leadership responsibilities. He worked for the benefit of the people and continued to follow the commandments of God his whole life. So as we think about our leadership responsibilities, maybe you're an elder in the congregation, maybe you're a boss at work, a teacher, even a parent, or any leadership responsibility that you carry out, may you too conduct yourself in faithfulness and upright, um, uprightness towards God and others. May people not be able to find fault in you. So the, those that follow you, those that are under your care, may they not be able to bring a charge against you. May we continually look to and trust in the Lord as Samuel did. And also, if we think about the people in which the that Samuel was leading and ministering to, we think of the Israelites, and especially as we looked at this morning, we saw that they were a sinful, disobedient people. So we can see that those that were leading aren't always going to be easy. They're all, they aren't always going to be obedient people to lead. But we, see, we can learn from Samuel's example that he continued to lead in a godly way by having his eyes on the Lord. Number two, we continue on the passage and we, get, we see that the Israelites had rejected God, their king, who had acted faithfully in the past. So again, Samuel's presenting to them what they had, but they rejected. So first it was him. Now we see he presents to them God. In 1 Samuel 12, 7 through 15. Verse 7 reads, Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So we see that Samuel recounts how God has acted 
toward the people. So he showed them how he had acted towards the people in an upright, in a fair way, and now we see that he shows how God has acted towards the people. And as we read through these points, pay careful attention to how God acted and pay attention very carefully to how Israel acted. Letter A, God's mercy and deliverance in the exodus of Egypt. 1 Samuel 12, 8. Number one, the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt. Verse 8, when, when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them. Number two, the Israelites asked the Lord for help in their helpless state. Verse 8, and when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And then number three, the Lord delivered and led them through the hand of Moses and Aaron. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. So we see that Israel, as we know the, the story of the Israelites in Egypt and the plagues that God uh, delivered uh, them through as they crossed the Red Sea, we see that Israel was in a helpless, they were in a hopeless state, they were, in a, they were in a pitiful state, but God showed pity to them. He showed mercy to them, and he delivered them out of that oppression. Letter B, God's grace in sending judges to deliver the people from their oppressors. 1 Samuel 12, 9 through 11. Number one, Israel turned away from the Lord. 1 Samuel 12, 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. Number two, the Lord gave them over to their enemies, and they oppressed them. Verse 9, but the Lord... But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. So we see that Israel, they sinned, and then God, he punishes them. He, in a sense, teaches them a lesson and gives them over into the hands of these oppressors. Number three, Israel repented of their sin against the Lord and asked for help. Verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And then number four, the Lord delivered them through the judges. Verse 11, and the Lord sent Jerobel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered, them, delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. So simply what this is doing, what Samuel's doing is he's actually, the whole book of Judges that we have in our scriptures today, Samuel is, in a sense, summarizing that whole book. We know the book often, it's by its title of the Judges. We think of the Judges such as Othniel and Ehud. We think of um, Barak and Deborah. We think of Gideon. But ultimately that book is, in a sense, a sad book in that it records Israel's disobedience. And what Samuel's doing here is he's showing the cycle that can be seen throughout that book. We see Israel's disobedience, we see God's grace. Israel's disobedience, God's grace. And we see that continually happening within the book of Judges. And that's Samuel's point right here. Israel has disobeyed, but God shows his grace. He shows his undeserved favor towards the Israelites in their sin. And then we see third, uh, letter C, we see that God set a king over them at their request. And, then, and they are to continue to follow the Lord, as we see in 1 Samuel 12, 12 through 15. Sometime before 1 Samuel 8, as we looked at this morning, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against the Israelites. Verse 12, it reads, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you. And then we see in number two, the Israelites' solution was to ask for a king. 
Verse 12, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. So if you're here this morning, as I've mentioned already, we looked at chapter 8 in which we see that the Israelites demand a king. And we kind of get the background here. We kind of get um, maybe the political or the, what we could see on the surface in that this king of the Ammonites came up against Israel. They were threatening them. They were oppressing them in some way. And their response was not to look to God. But as we saw this morning, their response was to look for a human king. Number three, the Lord granted their request for a king. So though it was sinful, God grants uh, their request and he uses it, as we'll see in verse 13. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Number four, Samuel sets forth how they should conduct themselves with this king and the result. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. And then number five, Samuel sets forth how they should not conduct themselves with this king and the punishment if they do so. First Samuel twelve fifteen. But if you will obey, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So simply, what Samuel's getting across here, we're given a lot of history of the Israelites, but we see with the Egyptians, we see or the Israelites in Egypt, we see with the book of Judges um, that Samuel recounts, and then we see even in this demand for a king that God acts with grace. He acts with mercy. He works with the, the sinful, the disobedient Israelites, and he works through their sin to provide for them in many ways. So the application, Samuel's doing this because as we saw this morning and as we even see now, Israel had forgotten what the Lord had done for them. And an application to us is that I think it's a great temptation that's always there to forget about the ways in which God has worked in the past. This could be way back in the past as we think about what's, what we find recorded in the scripture. Often we forget what we have read about in there of the righteous acts of God or even in the ways in which God has worked within our own lives. Think about how often you might pray for something and God answers it and you praise him for doing so, but soon after you forget what he has done. I'd like to challenge us tonight just to, throughout your day, even as a time in a, t in a day when you uh, pause, take a time to sit down and think about how God has provided for you and blessed you in the past. As we see that surely Israel forgot about how God had worked back in chapter 8, and here they needed reminded from Samuel. And even as I think of, uh, as we do our daily scripture reading, if we're in the word daily, this should, this should allow us to be able to encounter and it should even remind us of these acts of God that he has done in the past. Letter B. So in, dress, so in addressing Israel's sin, Samuel has presented their rejection of two leaders, him and God. And now we see that Samuel addresses their sin by way of a sign from God, as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 through 18. So number one, the time of year was May or June when ra rain rarely fell, 1 Samuel 12, 16. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest? So simply, 
we can see here the time of year is the harvest time, May or June, and rain rarely falls in this time. Number two, Samuel would call for the Lord to send thunder and rain. 1 Samuel 12, 17. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. So in this time when rain never falls or rarely falls, Samuel's going to ask God to send thunder and rain. Three, we find the purpose. The purpose was for Israel to realize the sin they committed. Verse 17. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. Number four, the Lord does so and the people were in terror. Verse 18, so Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So we see that Samuel addresses the sin of Israel. As I said, this is a big chunk of the passage of chapter 12. Maybe 75% of the speech that he's giving is simply to address the sin of Israel. And we see he does this in two ways, showing what they had, but they rejected, of Samuel and God as their leader, as their king. And now we see that he does so in this miracle or in this act of God. When it never rains, God sends forth rain to show them that they have sinned in asking or demanding for a king like the nations. So application, we may question how did it come to this for Israel to realize their sin? But I want us to think about how often it takes us or how long it takes us to realize when we have sinned. Maybe it takes hours, maybe sometimes it's days, weeks, maybe even months later when you realize what you have done. Oftentimes, something alerts us of how we sinned, if it be either a person, a sermon, the reading of Scripture. May we pray to the Lord that He might open our eyes to our sin and even realize it more quickly. Number two. All right, so there's four ways in which Samuel addresses Israel, and we find the second in verses 19 through 20. We see that Samuel guides Israel in their repentance. Letter A. Israel recognizes their sin, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for yourselves a king. So through Samuel addressing the sin, from him pointing out what they have done through this miracle that God has sent rain, sent thunder, the Israelites realize what they have done. Letter B. Israel is not to continue in evil, but follow the Lord genuinely. Verse 20, And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So they realize their sin, and then Samuel is directing them in what they should do. And then verse 21, we see Israel is not to turn to things that are against God. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. So Israel realizes their sin, and Samuel simply says that they need to follow, follow the Lord now and not turn back to the ways in which they had lived. So application, when we realize we have sinned, may we repent immediately and turn from the sin we have continued in. Once we have repented, don't continue in the sin that you had struggled with, but turn and follow the ways of God. Letter D, we may question how can, how can they do this? They have just acted in rejection and rebellion of God, as we saw this morning in chapter 8. 
Shouldn't they be punished? So we may question, how can the Israelites get off so easy? They have rejected God. They have rejected the reign of God and even the, the faithful leadership of Samuel. How can they get off this easy? Don't they deserve to be punished? And we see the answer in the third thing that Samuel presents. Roman numeral number three. Third, Samuel points out to Israel how God will deal with them in their sin. Verse tw- as we see in verse 22. Letter A, the Lord will not reject the Israelites. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people. So the Lord will not abandon his people. He will not cast out his people because of the sin in which they have committed. Though they have done that to him, he will not do the same to them. Letter B, the reason is because this is against his character. First Samuel 12, 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. And letter C, the reason is because the Lord desires to have a relationship to the Israelites. First Samuel 12, 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So we see Israel has abandoned God. They have rejected him. They have forgot him. And we see that God will not do the same. This is the grace of God. The Israelites do not deserve his forgiveness. They do not deserve a second chance, but God grants them one. God does not forget them or cast them off. Notice what the reason isn't. So if we think about why God is uh, showing them this kindness, notice the reason that he doesn't give. He doesn't say that the reason is because Israel is worthy or that they have been obedient. It's not what Israel had done for God. It's not something found in them, but it's solely found within God's character. So this is his grace, his undeserved favor. The Israelites do not deserve his favor or his kindness, but yet he shows it to them. So application. In our sin, may we be overcome and marvel at the grace of God. As we think specifically about his act of grace in saving us from our sins, but also in his continual grace within our lives. This should humble us, realizing that we are not where we are because of our own doing, but only because of the grace of God. So in our sin, uh, in our grief, because of what we have done, maybe in our guilt, in our shame, may we be overcome by God's grace, by his restoring of us, of his forgiveness. And then fourth, Samuel instructs Israel in how they are to live going forward. Letter A, Samuel prays for the people of Israel as their intercessor. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Letter B, we see that Samuel instructs the people of Israel. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. And then we see Samuel's instructions. First, we see in letter C, Israel was to reverently obey the Lord. 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord. So this fear is not the terror that we, we saw back when God sent the rain and the thunder down because to help them to realize their sin. It's not that terror. It's not that um, afraid or that of being scared, but this fear is a reverent or an honoring obedience to God, a genuine obedience in which the people submit to God. Samuel's calling them to do so. Letter D, Samuel instructs Israel was to continue to follow the Lord genuinely. Verse 24, only fear the Lord 
and serve him faithfully with all your heart. In letter, in letter E, Israel was to reflect upon what the Lord had done. 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. So in serving the Lord and submitting to the Lord after this sin, they're to remember, as we have already seen in this passage, that they are to look to the Lord and what he has done for them, the grace, the kindness, the forgiveness that he has showed in their life. In letter F, Samuel gives them a warning. Israel is warned of the punishment if they do not turn from these ways, as we see in verse 25. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So application. Often in sin, we feel stuck. We feel as if we are in a continual cycle. We just can't get away from this certain sin, this sin that we habitually do or continually do. But we see that Samuel provides the way forward of recognizing, of turning from this sin, of realizing the grace of God at work in our life, and living in a way that is pleasing to him. So from this passage, from chapter 12, what are we to learn? First, we can certainly see um, for the Israelites that they are given hope. We see that the Israelites are giving hope in that there is a way forward for them. And even in their sinful decision or demand for a king, they demand for a king. And God says that was a rejection of him and of Samuel and his faithful leadership. But we see that God, Samuel, gives them a way forward. And we see that there's hope that's given to Israel. But for us, maybe you have been struggling with a sin in your life. It keeps coming back. It's something that just doesn't seem to be able, uh, that you can get rid of. I'd like to challenge us from this text as Samuel addresses the sin of Israel, realizing the sin you have committed, but not just staying there in the guilt and shame. So certainly it's important to realize that you have sinned, that the sin needs to be addressed, but don't just stay in the guilt and the shame of it, but acknowledge the grace of God. Repent of your sin, acknowledge the grace of God within your life, and move on from that sin, seeking to honor and to glorify God with your life, with this reverent fear, with this reverent obedience to God, following him in the in his ways. We see that there is a way forward from sin. We are not done. We are not cut off, but God has provided a way moving forward from all sin by his grace. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the example that we have of Samuel and even of the many righteous deeds in which you have uh, done, Lord, throughout history. And Lord, we thank you for uh, this speech, this address to the people of Israel. Lord, we thank you for um, confronting us in our sins. Lord, you do it in different ways as we see a unique example in the life of the Israelites of this rain and the thunder, Lord. But God, I pray that you uh, would awake any of us to our sin that we have maybe been ne neglecting, ignoring, um, maybe putting away, Lord, I pray that you would bring this to light, God. Bring our sin to light, and God, I pray that you would give us repentant hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us genuine hearts uh, that seek repentance. Lord, pray that you would change our hearts and our sin, and Lord, we thank you as well as we see in this passage of your grace. Lord, you show us great kindness. You show us uh, great love, though we don't deserve it. And God, I pray that we would marvel at this, Lord, in our sin, that uh, this would help us to overcome the guilt, the shame, the despair that comes with sin and the results of it, God. And Lord, I pray ultimately 
that we would move forward from our sin. Lord, you provided a way forward uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us to seek to live for you, seek to follow you. And Lord, ultimately the strength, the grace comes from you so that we might live our lives in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. Lord, we thank you for this example. And God, I pray as we go throughout our weeks today or this week, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use this text in our lives. Pray that you would transform our hearts and our minds. And Lord, may we seek to serve you. And in your name I pray, amen. Thank you for coming out tonight and you are dismissed.